if you're a visitor with us today, we want to give you a warm welcome. We're just so pleased that you have chosen to spend some time with us. And we want to talk to you today, and I want to talk to you today, about the Lamb of God. We've talked and we've sang and we've said different things about Jesus today. And this monumental day that nobody can forget. One of the... Um, I, I get the honor of taking one of the growth classes that we do here at Christian Center. And I do the one called the maturity class because I'm very mature. Um, <laughs> and, and, and one of the bits in there, we talk about how we get to know the Bible. And one of the things I talk about is memorizing the Bible. And I always feel a bit of a hypocrite because my mind is like a sieve. I don't even remember my name sometimes. It's so bad. And, and so, but even for somebody with such a bad memory as me, even I remember some things that are important in my life that stand out that I'll probably never forget. I mean, for, for instance, the 4th of September, 1988. Nobody knows what that means, is it? That's the day I moved to Milton Keynes. First day I was here, and we had a service across the road in, in uh, the pits in Woofton. Or maybe it's the 10th of September, 1988. You know what happened then? Michael Jackson was on the bad tour, and he came to the bowl and played in front of 60,000 people. Isn't that amazing? And I nearly forgot, I got married that day as well. Twenty ninth of May, nineteen ninety two, or the fifteenth of July, nineteen ninety four, were nightmare days for me because I realised I was going to have two lodgers in my house forevermore. <laughs> they are called my children, and they're never going to leave. And of course, eleventh of May, nineteen eighty three. Come on, you should know by now. Gothenburg, Sweden. Real Madrid won. <laughs> Aberdeen FC 2. And the Cup Winners Cup. So, anyway, that, no more mentions of Aberdeen. But this other thing that I remember very vividly, although I can't get the date, I think I was about 10 or 11, so it was probably July 73 or 74. I was on holiday with my parents, and when we went on holiday back then, we didn't go to like all the nice places, Spain and everything you do nowadays, we went to a Christian guest house, and we had services morning and evening. I mean, how, what? it's paradise for a 10-year-old, isn't it? <laughs> And I was there, and I was sitting in the service in the evening, bored to tears as usual. I'd got my Christian comic, because you had to read Christian comics. You couldn't read anything else. Uh, no iPads then. And, and uh, there was a guy speaking. His name was Pastor Brian Downward. And uh, he was, like, talking in the background. And uh, he read this verse this way. The next day, he, that's John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming towards him. And he said, BOLD! <laughs> See, that got you worried, didn't he? And, and I, so I decided I would listen to him then. Because that's the way it's written in the Bible. It's got an exclamation afterwards. It's not like, behold, the Lamb of God. I, I often wonder, have you ever put yourself in, in the middle of scenes in the Bible? And John was baptizing his disciples uh, and, and, he, and could you imagine if Jesus was walking around and he's baptizing a disciple and he goes, Doosh, and he goes, 
oh, behold, the lamb. And the guy's drowning. Behold, the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Isn't that amazing? I was only 10, but something changed inside me. My, my, my mouth closed up. I mean, I've got tremors anyway because of my disease, but I, I was shaken. And tears rolled down my eyes because, you see, even as a 10 or 11-year-old, I couldn't express it this way back then, but I realized that I needed something different in my life. And I hadn't got it all together, and sin was there. And you know the thing about sin? It not only separates us from God, it separates us from each other as well. Because we struggle with shame. And, and, and that's the problem with sin. It, it separates us from each other, and it separates us from God. And that started a journey in my young life for probably about a year to two years before I gave my, lo- my life to the Lord in a youth camp in Lanarkshire in Scotland. And you know, the idea of the Lamb, the Lamb of, of God, this Lamb is, is developed by in, in the New Testament. In the New Testament, there's 32 times that the Lamb of God, or the Lamb, is used to, to describe Jesus. 32 times. Once, it, it's uh, by a, a guy who was reading some scriptures in the Old Testament, and Philip turns up from the middle of nowhere and, and then start, and helps him to understand what the scriptures are saying. He said that he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. And Philip was able to explain to this guy who that was about, and it was about Jesus. The other person that uses it one time is Peter. When he's an old man and he's writing to the churches that he looked after, he puts it this way in 1 Peter 1 verse 9. He says, knowing that you were ransomed, that's bought back from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver and gold. Silver and gold can't buy you back doesn't matter how rich you are, but with the precious blood of Christ. Do you remember that old hymn? There is power, power, wonder. No, no, don't go there. <laughs> the precious blood of Christ, like that of what? A lamb without spot or blemish. The other 30 times it's used by John. Nobody else uses it in that sense. John mentions it three times in his gospel that we've just read. In fact, two times in that first chapter. But 27 times we read of the Lamb in the book right at the end called Revelation. You know that weird like book that ever, nobody reads because they don't understand it? Well, it's mentioned the Lamb of God is, or the Lamb is mentioned 27 times. You know that book is called the revelation of Jesus to John. That's the first and foremost thing you need to know about the book of Revelation. It's a revelation of Jesus to his followers. 
They were seeing Jesus in a completely different way. Never just take that book and leave it somewhere in the future. It's a revelation of Jesus to his disciple John, who could then pass it on to everybody else. And he uses, Jesus uses the word lamb to describe himself more than anything else. Isn't that amazing? The lamb, the triumphant God, he described himself as a lamb, a lamb who was slain. So just for a little bit of time tonight, we, I just want to look at you and read some scriptures about why John the Baptist and John the Apostle thought that Jesus was a lamb and how that this lamb is not just appropriate for one specific time in history, but it's past, present, and future. The lamb of God, Jesus, is, that's the name he gets throughout eternity. From eternity past to eternity future, he's still the lamb. So let me read to you just a, a look. You see... Where does the whole lamb thing come from? If you remember back when the, uh, the, the children of Israel were just about to leave Egypt and there was another plague going to come. There had been nine and there was going to another one come. And, and, and the message went out amongst the Israel people, said, there's an angel coming tonight and is going to take the firstborn in every house. And what I want you to do is I want you to take a lamb. And I want you to sacrifice the lamb and then I want to take you, you to take the blood and then put it on your doorposts. And when the angel comes, he will what? He will pass over. And that's the whole thing that Jesus and his disciples were doing on the Thursday night before Good Friday. They were celebrating or come to celebrate the Lamb. You see, for sin to be forgiven, there had to be death. And the death and, and, and blood had to be spilled. And that's what happened with the lamb. You see, in Leviticus, it, it describes it like this. Leviticus 4, if he brings a lamb as his offering for a sin offering, he shall bring a female without blemish and lay his hand on the head of the sin offering and kill it for a sin offering in the place where they kill the burnt offerings. Then the priest shall take some of the blood of the sin offering and put it on his finger and put it on the horns of the altar, which is in the temple, of the burnt offering and pour out all the rest of its blood at the base of the altar. And why would he do that? And the priest shall make atonement. Atonement means making amends for, to pay reparations for something, to make it what, and to create reconciliation between us and God. A price had to be paid, and by the lamb being slaughtered and the blood being spilled and applied, it became, instead of us getting death, we got freedom. And we were connected to God because our sin is now forgiven. Or sorry, that's what happened with the Israelites. The sin was forgiven. The only problem with this is that it had to happen every year. So every year they kept going back and killing more lambs and doing more things and more and more things. To, and it just went on and on and on and on. But these sacrifices were just imperfect. But if we read again what Peter said in his thing, we read it a minute ago, you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, 
like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. And the Hebrew writer goes on to put it this way, but when Christ had offered for all time. See, something was going to change when Jesus, the Lamb of God, came because He was the perfect sacrifice and no longer had it to be every year or every day or whatever. It was once for all a single sacrifice for sins. It was enough to make reparations for the whole world. The death of Christ on the cross made reparations for the whole world. And that includes you. You don't seem very happy about that. And after he'd done that, what did he do? After he'd done the single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting for the time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. That, that's a quote from Psalm 110. Go back and read it tonight. But what, what, what the Hebrew writer is saying here, he came as the once and for all sacrifice, and he put something into place. He released something, a plan of God, where he was going to sit, and God the Father was going to bring everything back to the Son. Everything. He said that he's going to sit until his enemies should be made his footstool. For by a what single offering he has what perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Who is he speaking about that there? He's speaking about the people who follow him who are justified and made it like there is no sin. And we put our lives in Jesus' hand. And what is he doing for us? He's perfecting us to sanctify us, to make us more like Christ. He has perfected for all time. Now, now let's change it just a little bit. Let's, can I jump into the book of Revelation? Some of you are going to disagree with me, so that's okay. Just come and sh shout at me afterwards. I, I, I love the book of Revelation. I love what, what, what it's got to say. Um, I, I really believe, I don't have the time for this, I really believe when we look at the book of Revelation, it's, it's telling the same story from many different angles. Like if I was telling you about today, I would say I went to Edgebaston Cricket Ground and I watched cricket I got in the car and I came back down. My wife would say, well, I studied and I did this and I did that. And Mark would say something else and you would say something else, yes? And, and so Revelation probably seven or eight times tells the, the sort of history of the world from the time that Jesus came the first time till he's going back. And, and, and so when we see that and when we look at the different scenes that he's got, there's one scene. Now, don't worry about who the dragon and who everybody is. That's not my point at the moment, right? Come with me. Um, and all who dwell, there was a dragon and, and, and everything, Revelation 13, 8, and all who dwell on earth will worship it. That's the beast. It doesn't matter what the beast is. Listen, everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in what? The book of life of who? 
of the lamb who was slain. What does that tell me? It tells me that there was a book before the foundation of the world. In eternity past, there was a book. And the book was called, put, put the verse back up. Where are we at? The book of life of the lamb who was slain. The lamb was slain and the book existed before the world existed. Before there was sin to be dealt with, the lamb was slain and the book was written. Yes. So eternity passed. Wherever we look, the lamb is, was, and always has been slain in the plan of God. Why is that important? Because on Good Friday, when Jesus was put to death or he laid down his life on a cross, and Satan thought he had won, Satan did not wreck God's plan. Satan set it up. He set it up. He thought he could beat God, but he set up God's plan. Because the plan was not some rescue act. It's one moment in time and history on a hot hill outside Jerusalem. God knew way back here in eternity past, and the book was written, and the lamb was slain before the foundation of the world. We've got to wrap our heads around that. I don't understand it fully, but that's God for you. He didn't come up with a second plan. It's always been his plan. What was his plan? His plan was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Behold, the lamb, Jesus, this perfect sacrifice. Let's move forward towards the end of the book of Revelation. Go back and read this when you're around tonight. I'm going to read quite a few verses, one after another. 21 verse 9, eternity future. Then came one of the seven angels who had seven bowls full of the, la of the seven last plagues and spoke to me saying, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. Who's the bride? Who's the light? Come on, guys. We, the church. So we're, what's he going to show us next? He's going to show us the church, us who are in his church, the bride of Jesus Christ, the Lamb. And he carried me away by the Spirit, and he took me to a high mountain and showed me what? The holy city come, of Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. This is the church returning. It's a picture. Revelation is full of pictures and everything like that. It's not something else. He said, I'm going to show you the church, I'm going to show you the bride of the Lamb. And he looks and he sees this thing that he sees and tries to describe as the new Jerusalem descending from heaven. Have I lost you? And he carried me away, da, 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 coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. The bride of Christ has the glory of God on it. No more mess-ups, no more mistakes, no more sin. It has the glory of God in it, and you are an ingredient in that if you know Jesus. That's our destiny. 
We know where we've come from, but we know where we're going. Doesn't matter what happens in Brexit. It's radiance like the most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. And the walls of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were 12 names of the 12 apostles of who? The Lamb. He's still there, right at the end. And I saw no temple. Great, we don't have to go to church anymore. I see no temple in the city, for what is temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb, Jesus. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, and the, la- the glory of God gives it its light, and its lamp is what? The Lamb. Chapter 22, verse 1, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as a crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. One more. Verse 3, No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship him. We're never going to stop worshiping the lamb. When we're in heaven, it's still the lamb that was slain. It doesn't change. It's still there. And Jesus continues to express himself as the lamb. Do you think it's important to him? We're going to be confronted all the time as we live in eternity by the lamb without spot or blemish, who was slain for what? For our sin to make a relationship possible, and it's the perfect sacrifice. We are, it's been from eternity past and into eternity future. It's still going to be the Lamb. There's never going to be a day when you're going to wake up and not see the Lamb. I didn't realize that Josh was going to read Revelation 5. So I'm going to do it as well. Then I saw, because this is this this is this scene. I I I believe anyway. This scene is just as Jesus goes to heaven. He's died on the cross. He's been slain, and he's going to heaven. It's his coronation when he's going to go and sit and wait for God to make his enemies a footstool. Yes, you with me? Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. That's God. A scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and to break its seals? This is the purpose and the plan of God, and no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw what? Lamb. Standing as though it had been slain, 
with seven horns and seven eyes. It's a weird lamb. Which are seven spirits sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the four 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. Worthy, worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain, and by what your blood you have ransomed people from every tribe and every language and every people and every nation, and you have made them a kingdom of priests to our God. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the voices of many angels numbering myriads and myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Friend, you need to put yourself into that story. From eternity past, slain before the foundation of the world, into the future to eternity with the Lamb in heaven, confronted by the unbelievable grace and love and forgiveness every moment that we wake. It's never going to go away. It's never going to get old. It's always going to be incredible. And the weight of glory that is waiting for us when we meet the Lamb. We need to put ourselves appointed by the Lamb in the past. God knew you before the world existed. And Jesus, the Lamb, was slain. And your name was written in a book called the Book of Life. Because one day you were purchased on a hill outside of Calvary, outside of Jerusalem, a place called Golgotha, where they murdered the King of Heaven. And because he was slain, we have forgiveness. We have reconciliation. We have redemption. And we have a place in the throne room of heaven praising him forevermore. Amen? Amen. Let me just pray. The band are going to come back. We're going to uh, just take communion in this atmosphere. But Father God, we are so thankful that you had a plan and never deviated from it. Nothing surprised you in any way. And we are so thankful that our name was written in the Lamb's Book of Life before the foundation of this world. We were purchased in a moment at Calvary, and we are going to spend forever and ever and ever singing praises to the Lamb. Amen.